What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. Go to bitcoinandmarkets.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. All right, guys. Today, I'm going to be going over the Bitcoin Fundamentals Report number 179 that came out last Friday. Some of this stuff is a little bit old because it is about Canada and, you know, everything just happened so quickly this weekend. Emergencies Act and then clearing the streets and the financial stuff. So everything just happened really, really quickly. I'm going to go over some of my key takeaways from this whole situation. Uh, that's going to be this first part. And then the second part of this week's podcast, is, part two, is going to be on other news items as well as price and mining. I'll, I'll just crunch all that into a second show. So let's go right with Canada attempt, attempting to freeze Bitcoin donations. I just want to address maybe some of the, the new people out there uh, because there are new people that listen to the show and there's new people coming to Bitcoin all the time. Uh, and they might be asking, I thought Bitcoin was immune to this kind of censorship. Bitcoin is immune, but what they're doing is they're censoring the third parties. So just like cash is immune to censorship, but cash in your bank account is not. All right. So same with Bitcoin. If you have Bitcoin in a third party, either an exchange or a third party app, like a cash app or uh, something like that, that you know is, has a third party attached to it that will censor this stuff, then uh, you have to be careful, right? Because then Bitcoin is not yours. The only time you own the Bitcoin, just like when you own cash, you have to hold it in your hand. Everything else is not really yours and can be can be censored. So that's why Bitcoiners are really big into self-custody. That means you taking the cash, the Bitcoin, in your own possession. So Bitcoin is not being censored. It is the third parties. Now, also, say you have Bitcoin on your wallet, okay, and you send it to an exchange to sell it the off-ramp to the local currency that you want to spend. Since Bitcoin is a push transaction, that means that the receiver doesn't know where it's coming from until it comes. Well, what the Canadians did was they released these addresses that if Bitcoin comes from these addresses, you are supposed to freeze the funds. Okay. It's still being frozen with a third party. They received the Bitcoin. Nothing can stop the Bitcoin transaction from going through, but now they have the possession and they can freeze it. So uh, this can be mitigated in many ways. There are multiple ways that you can obfuscate. A very low-tech way is to send the Bitcoin to yourself several times, maybe break it up into a couple transactions and then send it back to yourself. You'll have a new address. You could, of course, go through a regular mixing service. These there's decentralized options out there that allow you to mix your coins and it breaks that taint that's attached to individual bitcoins. Now this uh, mixing can help, of course. It's very it's the best thing we have at this point, uh, but there are ways to kind of mess up those mixing events. So really what you're doing is you're joining with other people that want to go into one large transaction and then your coins will get mixed in there with those other Bitcoins and get sent back to you at a new address that can't be followed. And that is what mixing is. But if you have a malicious 
person in the mix with you, it starts breaking the ability to mix the coins and it helps these coin tracing companies trace coins better if they are maliciously in the mix themselves. So that there are some drawbacks to that. Another thing I'd like to see developed would be, I mean, you can go into an altcoin too. You can sell like on a decentralized exchange, you can go into an altcoin uh, and then sell the altcoin back for Bitcoin or immediately dump it for dollars. That would be a big sell pressure on altcoins as well, which would be a good thing. But also on these decentralized exchanges, I would like to see just Bitcoin for Bitcoin trades. And so if you had, say, somebody in the U.S., uh, had somebody in Canada, and they could do a quick Bitcoin for Bitcoin swap on BISC, that would instantly break those chains, and there would be no way to make a blacklist for that. I mean, you could do it, you'd have to do it international blacklist and not just a national blacklist, but that's something that I would like to see developed as well over the, the coming years. But anyway, let's get back into this. So I wanted to do my takeaways from this whole situation because a lot of people are down on it, right? This, the price is dropping and there seems to be this crackdown on Bitcoin. And we, again, we were told that this couldn't happen and now it is happening. So what are the takeaways? Well, first off, it's not a surprise. We always knew that Bitcoin was vulnerable on the fiat side of the equation. Okay, so on the third party side, on the traditional side, on the centralized side, Bitcoin, we knew Bitcoin was always vulnerable. So what we need to do is just get rid of that, get rid of that side and have if people accept Bitcoin in payment, then that side is less of a concern. Uh, this attack is only possible because Bitcoin is at such an early stage. Okay, Bitcoin is only how many years old now? Jeez, 13 years old. And so at such an early stage, yes, it's being monetized right now. It has what, about 1% to possibly 3% of the global population owns any Bitcoin at all. And so it's it's very, very early on in Bitcoin's development. And that's the only reason why they can actually do this attack, right? If Bitcoin was widely used in accepted places, the technology stack of Bitcoin, like different layers and different mixing and different, all of these things, if Bitcoin was more mature, when Bitcoin becomes more mature, this is not going to be a possible attack. Because the government can't tell every small retail outlet, you know, police them from accepting Bitcoin from a certain address. Plus, this really brought out uh, an attention in different technology that obfuscates where you're even sending that money and who's, who's sending it to you. So, um, and Lightning Network is going to be big in this as well. Right now, Lightning Network is only, I would say it's only useful for smaller transactions at this point. You can make larger transactions, but it's more difficult and it's not as healthy to be sending you know, uh, $10,000 transactions on Lightning Network. It's just not healthy for the network, I don't think, at this time. I mean, I could be wrong on that. It's been a while since I've uh, really dug into the liquidity on the Lightning Network. I know it's up in the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of total liquidity. That is technology that's moving forward. And if you then say, okay, well, all these donations, someone's sending me 50 bucks, someone's sending me 20 bucks. 
in the case of this Canada thing, then you can see how these smaller transactions could easily go through the Lightning Network. So that is, again, Bitcoin is at, at such an early stage. That's the only reason why this attack worked at all. Okay. Next takeaway. Um, it's impressive that at this nascent state that Bitcoin still threatens the powers that be, right? If Bitcoin was not a threat, they would not have frozen these Bitcoin on the third-party exchanges and they would not have put these blacklisted addresses out there if Bitcoin was insignificant. So Bitcoin has come a long way in this short life of 13 years that now it's, it's such a big player that in the big, on the biggest political stage in the world, Bitcoin is a player. And that is huge. What, is, what will the next 13 years bring? And the last takeaway I'll, I'll say here is that we get a glimpse of their tactics uh, in future crackdowns. So we can build mitigation strategies or mitigation strategies can evolve. And I talked a little bit about them there earlier, but uh, yeah, this we know that they are going to blacklist addresses and we're, we know now that they're going to freeze third party stashes. So now we know exactly what they're, we kind of knew that they were going to do this exactly the way they did it. But at least now we know, like there is empirical proof that when push comes to shove, this is their tactic. And so now we can build things around that. So these are the lessons learned, the big takeaways that I have from this uh, Bitcoin experience up in Canada. And I hope that helps guys. All right, let's roll into part number two. Join me here tomorrow for part number two. See ya.